not about the ordinary. We've got enough of that. It's about the extraordinary. And we need more. Hi there, I'm Jared Penner, and welcome to the Extraordinary Leaders Podcast, where we spend time with recognised leaders and global experts exploring the art and science of remarkable leadership. In our last Extraordinary Leaders podcast, I spoke with Adam Warden about transformation and the kind of leadership that is needed in response to disruption and discontinuity challenges. Ironically, we released that podcast episode right in the middle of a pandemic, one that has caused massive disruption. Here in Melbourne, Australia, we've been in some sort of lockdown or subject to stay-at-home orders for more than 220 days since the pandemic broke early last year. That means that right now, we're unable to work with clients face-to-face. Everything is being delivered virtually. My family and I have been unable to leave our house unless it's for shopping, exercise, or a very small number of other essential and permitted reasons. When we do, we're unable to travel more than five kilometres from home. We can't gather in groups outside, and we can't have guests, even family, in our home or visit others in theirs. Most shops, restaurants and cafes are closed, except for takeaway. It's a tough space to be in. The fundamental needs that we have as human beings for autonomy and control, mastery and connection are being thwarted. Many of our choices have been taken away. We don't have sufficient insight and knowledge to predict what will happen next, and we're being separated from the people we care about. For many, the hardest thing is that there's just no certainty about what will happen next. No one has the answers, which in and of itself is a reasonable definition of a crisis, not being able to really anticipate what you're going to do tomorrow or next week. Yet this experience we are having may also come bearing gifts. Many great sages and philosophers have spoken of the necessity of struggle and adversity for human growth to occur. I've been pondering this idea whilst in the mess myself. What if this experience were the only way that we could learn that which we need to? What if there was an enormously valuable lesson in all of this that we could use to improve our lives and our leadership, but it just hasn't revealed itself fully yet? In this podcast, we're going to explore this question more deeply. What are the gifts of learning that uncertainty brings, and how can we receive them fully? So stick around. It's going to be a good one. Many of us are in lockdown or continue to suffer the effects of the pandemic on our work, recreation, relationships or health with no discernible end in sight. For many, the experience ranges from mildly uncomfortable right through to downright challenging to our spirit and soul. And for those of you struggling, my heart goes out to you. At the same time, I want to encourage you to seek the lesson in all of this. What is life trying to teach you? What needs to reveal itself to you that will help you change and adapt the way you see the world and how you respond to it? All of the great and enduring philosophies contemplate suffering as an unavoidable part of life. It's only the modern religion of consumption that tells you that you should be free of suffering and that you should be able to buy anything from salvation right through to temporary relief. The ancients believed that we must endure suffering. I believe that too, but more. We must learn from it. If suffering is a result of our hopes and desires being dashed against the immovable wall of reality, then we have to either re-examine what is realistic 
or reset our hopes and aspirations. But this is not easy work though, as it involves resetting a whole bunch of assumptions that we each carry about ourselves and our world. It requires deep examination of what we believe to be true, which is uncomfortable work, perhaps explaining why most people would rather not do it and instead blame someone else for their suffering. It lets us off the hook. Less than 30% of adults will know what I mean by this. For those that do, I want to encourage you to do the work, even if it's hard. Keep going. It helps me to remember that we can't eliminate suffering, but we can try and give it meaning. We can give it purpose. It's a transformative stance to take, don't you think? To ask ourselves, what's the lesson for me in all of this? And what if this were the only way that I could learn it? Earlier this week, as I described my approach to being in the pandemic-induced vortex of lockdown number six, I was told by a client that I'm not normal. This fellow, also an experienced psychologist, said that I was an outlier. Different. I've been thinking about his words for several weeks now, and I've come to the conclusion that he might be right, and that it's not a bad thing. You see, I've decided in the middle of a tumultuous global pandemic, just when we're all being taxed emotionally and psychologically beyond compare, to embrace the moment and do what I believe for many people is counterintuitive. Instead of trying to reduce the disequilibrium and discomfort I'm feeling, I'm embracing it, even harnessing it, to help me change. The thing is, I've chosen to do some deep development work on myself over the last few months. I've engaged a wise coach, come therapist, to help me investigate stuff at the core of me, involving beliefs and protective mechanisms that were created during childhood and reinforced by life. Don't get me wrong, these beliefs and ways of reacting to the world have been very helpful in my life. They're behind my self-sufficiency, competence and agency, but they're also behind my separateness from, from others, and they often thwart my deeply felt desire for intimacy and closeness. You probably have your own stuff that holds you back. Maybe it's a control thing where you try to manage and fix everything, even the stuff you can't control. So you get stressed, frustrated, angry even. You just don't know how to let go, do nothing and relax. Or perhaps it's a need to know and predict everything, where having all the answers has been your super strength, the source of your success. But now, when you can't possibly know and predict everything in the middle of a global pandemic, you struggle to hang out with the messiness and the chaos of not knowing. So perhaps like many of you, I want to grow beyond my limiting patterns, but it's a real struggle to overcome years of deeply ingrained thinking and acting. That's why I'm using this moment to do the work. And there are two key ideas in all of this that I'm using to anchor myself as I do this work. Two essential truths or realisations that if we can grasp, enables each of us to grow through adversity and author ourselves larger and more helpfully as people and as leaders. The first realisation is that we need to learn to hang with the tension, even if it's extremely uncomfortable. The second realisation is that we have to grow beyond our current identity, despite being comfortable with who we currently are. I believe that through my own experience and observing the tremendous growth and development of my clients, that together these beliefs allow us to harness the gifts of learning that come from the adversity, suffering and messiness that life often presents. So what sits behind each of these principles, and what do they each mean? Hanging with the tension. 
You see, I'm a big believer that we often need to experience tension, stress and disequilibrium if we are to change. I've seen too many people over too many years struggle to engage with real and meaningful development to believe anything else. Life has taught me that if we are too comfortable and happy with the status quo, then we have no reason to change. The same patterns of thinking and behaving will just keep showing up. But if you challenge our normal way of being by placing us for long enough in circumstances for which our normal responses aren't working, then we have to adapt. If we feel enough heat for long enough, then we must change. Although changing our deepest beliefs and habits of thinking can be like trying to reshape wrought iron. If you try and do it whilst the metal is at room temperature, it takes a huge amount of force to bend it. But apply enough heat for long enough, then the metal becomes soft and malleable, allowing it to be reshaped. Our deepest, oldest and strongest beliefs and behaviours are just like that iron. They can be rigid and flexible and unyielding. In fact, they've been our armour that has protected us in life. But they can also weigh us down, cause us to drown when our circumstances and desires call for something different. So we have to experience enough heat, tension and disequilibrium to reshape them to something more helpful. Even though it can be extremely uncomfortable, even painful to be forced to hold them and examine them, it's a necessary part of the experience. Of course, during this time, I've been tempted at least once or twice by that voice in my head which has said, let it go. It's too hard in the middle of a pandemic. Fortunately, another part of me responds with, sure it's hard, but when else are you going to experience these conditions? If you can't change now, when? I've learnt that the discomfort can in fact be a signal that I'm in the learning zone. It's when I'm vibrating at a really high frequency, when my existing beliefs and ways of being are being challenged by a new insight or understanding that's being forced on me by an unavoidable reality that I know that I'm in the right place. Psychologists call this discomfort cognitive dissonance. It occurs when we learn or experience something new that runs counter to our existing beliefs but can't be discounted. We experience psychological stress as these two ideas, the old and the new, compete against each other. And people will do everything in their power to try and alleviate that stress, often by trying to discount the new and retreat to the old, denying or avoiding that new reality. But the world has a way of forcing us to confront these things. And you're pretty much guaranteed that eventually, over and over, it will keep throwing experiences in our faces that insist we confront the new reality. And each time we have a choice, retreat back to the safety of our existing beliefs and actions, or march bravely and courageously into a world that with each step forward is enlarging and expanding in front of us. That place of tension and discomfort, is also called the productive zone of disequilibrium by Marty Linsky and Ron Heifetz from Harvard University. A key idea that has emerged from their influential theory of adaptive leadership is that people need to be held within a range of tension, heat, conflict or discomfort long enough for transformation and change to occur, eventually allowing something productive to emerge. This includes a helpful change in attitudes, beliefs, behaviours, practices or performance. The ideal range is called the productive zone of disequilibrium. A key feature of this theory is an understanding that too much disequilibrium will result in others avoiding the hard work of change and adaptation. At the same time, and importantly, too little discomfort will mean that the heat or tension is insufficient for change to actually occur. 
Ron and Marty believe simply that we have to get comfortable being in the mess, being in that zone of disequilibrium, if we are to adapt and change in more functional ways. And so central and self-evident is this idea of hanging with the tension that you will find it as a universal feature in the adaptation of all living systems. In biology, where scientists study the evolution of complex systems, they found that there was an essential dynamic that allowed some systems to adapt and evolve, whereas others did not, becoming extinct instead. The basic idea is that when a system is perfectly matched to its environment, it will be in equilibrium. If, however, the environment changes and the system is no longer able to function effectively in that changed environment, it experiences stress. As a result of that stress, it dials up its normal way of operating to more acute levels, trying to do what what it has always done, but just harder and faster and with more intensity to try and get the results that it's used to getting. Now, if it doesn't get these desired results, its efforts only intensify, generating more stress and increasingly wilder oscillations in the system. This is what scientists call perturbation. I'll often see my coaching clients mentally perturbating, vibrating, oscillating, as they grapple to realise and integrate a new and foreign way of seeing the world or being in it. I take it as a good sign, even though in that moment they they may momentarily not like me for holding them in that state of discomfort. I call it a good thing because perturbation precedes the moment of bifurcation. What's bifurcation? It's the moment that a complex system divides into more branches or parts. It has evolved and become more complex. That increase in complexity now allows the system to better meet the change demands of its environment. In essence, in response to the increased complexity of its environment, it has increased its own complexity. This is the fundamental basis of successful evolution and adaptation. When I see that moment of adaptation in my clients, I see insight, learning, growth. They experience an expansion of their knowing and capability. They become more powerful because they now experience the world in new expanded ways and they have more options, more helpful ways of responding to it. I also see the tension release, not because it's been avoided, because it's been embraced and used for growth, because the leader has grown and adapted, is now better suited to the demands of their situation, they no longer experience it as stressful. And so, hanging with attention and letting it do its work on us, rather than avoiding it, seems to be important to real growth and development. For many of us, the world as it is now being experienced, therefore, may be presenting ideal conditions for that growth and development. But what is the growth that would be most helpful right now? I suspect that for many of you, it will be growing beyond your current identity. My thinking about the role that identity plays in our growth as leaders and as human beings has evolved from the stitching together of several very well-validated theories and concepts from psychology and anthropology, although as far as I can tell, they haven't been presented together in this way before. To talk about your identity and what it means to grow beyond it. I have to start first with a broader discussion of our identity as a species, how we evolved, and the fundamental capacities that we developed that have allowed us not only to survive, but to thrive. That narrative about us as a species then informs the story of each of us as individuals, and how our needs to survive and thrive can compete with each other in times of uncertainty, 
such as now, and ultimately hold us back from showing up more helpfully as leaders. By telling this story of our evolution, I hope to tell a story that helps you see how you can use this moment to expand your identity and to grow into a more helpful version of your, your leadership self. So the life of an early human, hundreds of thousands of years ago, must have been tough at times. The world of our hunter-gatherer ancestors must have seemed an even more chaotic and unpredictable place than today, you know, attacks by wild animals, diseases, plagues, floods and droughts. That pain and suffering must have also seemed random and inexplicable to our early ancestors, and they would have been no more able than any other species to avoid these hardships. But fortunately, we evolved a forebrain bigger and more complex than any other species, which allowed us to think and act beyond the basic survival needs for food, shelter and sexual reproduction. What distinguished Homo sapiens from all other species was the development of three uniquely human drives or motivations. First, we developed a drive to control rather than be controlled, to be able to exert our will on the world around us rather than just being at the mercy of fate. Second, we developed a thirst to know, to be able to discern order and patterns from the chaos, because if we could explain what was happening to us, good and bad, we might be able to tip the odds in favour of experiencing more good stuff and avoiding the bad stuff. And third, we developed a drive to belong. We understood that together we had a much better chance against a world full of animals that vastly outnumbered us, who were bigger, had sharper claws, more fearsome teeth. Together we could achieve things we couldn't achieve alone. Controlling, knowing and belonging. These three motivational ingredients have allowed us to shape our chaotic world into some semblance of predictable order. You can imagine how they played out for our tribal ancestors hunting for woolly mammoth. Controlling made its appearance when someone said, Normally, we wait for a mammoth to appear near our cave. I reckon we should go out and look for one rather than just waiting. Knowing then showed up when someone said, There's flowers on this bush, which usually means the mammoth are down by the river. And then belonging pitched in with, well, let's make sure we get enough of us on this job to bring down that mighty beast. And so your ancestors harnessed these same motivations or drives over the millennia to not just survive but to thrive, to create the world that we live in. We used these three drives of controlling, knowing and belonging to develop ways to tame our chaotic and disordered world, largely through science, technology and commerce. Here's some examples. We learned how to build dams to harness flood water and store it rather than letting it destroy our villages and crops. We then created the irrigation systems to distribute that same water during droughts. We learned together how to create vaccines from the diseases we feared the most and we inoculated ourselves against them. And we're doing the same thing with COVID-19 today. We discovered together how to propel cars, trucks, boats and planes at great speeds and over long distances connecting people across communities and allowing global trade. We can now, to a greater or lesser extent, control all sorts of things that we previously thought the will of the gods. Birth rates, death rates, interest rates, production rates, all kinds of things. Our desire to control, know and work together has created the very systems we value and depend on today. Our justice systems, health systems, energy systems, political systems, economic systems. 
They have given us predictability, order and certainty and eliminated much chaos, suffering and pain. Through our drive to control, know and belong, we impose our will upon the world. These three drives are now deeply ingrained in us as a species. So much so that all of us have a motivation to control, know and belong to a greater or lesser extent. I'm sure that you or someone you know has built their whole reputation and success around taking control, taking charge, getting things done, working hard, winning and achieving. Others will have dazzled and forged impressive careers with their intelligence and insight, having the answers, being able to see solutions to problems, finding errors, looking for better ways of doing things. Yet others will have cultivated successful careers and lives being a team player, caring about others and nurturing relationships and connection. It's quite possible that you have been so successful in leveraging one or more of these drives that it's now become your go-to way of being in the world. It's now your identity. As much an inseparable part of who you are as your eye colour or other facial features. Just as you inherited your unique facial features from your ancestors, You inherited these three drives. In fact, taking control, having the answers, or being a good team player may be so important to your own success in life that you don't even have to think about how to do it. It just happens. You take control, or you have the answers, or you look after everyone else's needs. Which is also potentially a problem, particularly if that part of your identity is so strong instinctual and automatic that it's overused under pressure and feeling stressed you deploy that part of your identity even more frequently more intensely for example what if your identity is so fused with controlling and doing that you're now burning yourself out micromanaging others over controlling or having to get everything perfect disempowering others in the process Or what if your way of being in the world is so dependent on your intelligence and having the answers that you are now over-analyzing things, unable to act without having all the data, or just criticizing and finding fault in everything and everyone? Or what if your dependence on belonging means that you now over-comply? You surrender to others, you agree and give in too easily, avoid conflict, and you fail to stand or speak up for what you really think and believe. And so, I wonder if this is one of the gifts of COVID, lockdowns and all the other challenges of uncertainty, is that they trigger these unhelpful expressions of our identities. And so, we're forced to acknowledge them because they're showing up every day. As one of my clients said to me in a coaching session, the thing about the routine of lockdown is that you just can't escape the parts of you that you don't like. There's nothing to distract you. No escape from seeing yourself as you truly are. You have to change. I also wonder if the other gifts in all this uncertainty and disequilibrium is that we're forced to keep trying different things to resolve the tension. Because once we've exhausted all our usual techniques for avoiding the real work that we need to do on ourselves, like ignoring it or blaming someone else or minimising its impact, we're eventually forced to try some things that we've not tried before. We have to experiment with ways of being and doing that are outside our normal range of responses, potentially deeper, more authentic changes. And through this process, we experiment, learn and innovate. And through this experience, we are forced to grow into more helpful and better adapted versions of ourselves. Who could you be if you learned to let go? 
What would your life look like if you get comfortable with not knowing? How powerful would your leadership be if you were more prepared to say no and disappoint others' expectations? These questions are the gifts that our world is presenting to us right now. I not only hope that these ideas are helpful to you as an individual, I also passionately believe that these are the very same shifts that our teams, organisations and communities need from us as leaders as we encounter this rapidly evolving uncertain world. Our leaders need to let go and give the work back to others to let them create the new world through sort of the hundreds and thousands of small innovations needed. Our leaders need to adopt a learner's mind where they expect to not know and stop pretending that they have all the answers, instead adopting a curious and open stance. And one where we all step into courageous leadership, speaking up and challenging the status quo where it won't serve us well, not always just fitting in and complying. Are you prepared to do that work? Are you unwilling to waste this moment? I'm not. I decided that some time ago, early in the pandemic, when our leaders were talking about hibernating our businesses and societies for a while until normal could resume. The problem I had that every time I heard the word hibernate, I imagined a bear going into its cave at the beginning of winter. Eventually in the spring it emerges, the same bear. Skinnier, hungrier, more irritable, but the same bear. That seemed to me to be an awful waste of a unique opportunity to transform myself. So I prefer the idea of transformation, not hibernation. I hold in my mind the image of a caterpillar in a cocoon, the chrysalis metamorphizing into something else. And I imagine the butterfly emerging from its cocoon, unfolding its gloriously beautiful wings and launching into the warm summer's day. I choose butterfly. What do you choose? I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Extraordinary Leaders podcast and that in some way it has informed and evolved your thinking about your own leadership. I'm also looking forward to sharing another episode with you in a fortnight where I speak with confidence expert Michelle Sales. To stay up to date with new episodes as they're released, please subscribe. You'll also be able to access our previous episodes on essential leadership topics and fascinating conversations with remarkable people. If you liked any of our episodes, I'd love it if you could rate them. This will allow us to reach and engage and help more leaders, which is of course our reason for producing these podcasts. I'd also encourage you to share or recommend our podcast to friends and colleagues if you feel that they would find it helpful. You can also visit our website for more information or join our community. We can then keep you up to date with our latest programs and resources. And whilst there, you can also order my book, Extraordinary, The Art and Science of Remarkable Leadership. For now, thanks for listening and lead well. Oh.